This is Accessing the Pipeline, a podcast for Black professionals in private equity and finance, brought to you by McGuire Woods. Join host Ruben Pouchet III as he welcomes special guests offering insights into accessing capital, deal-making, accelerating portfolio optimization, and developing relationships among Black professionals in the private equity industry. Tune in to access the possibilities. Welcome to Access in the Pipeline. My name's Ruben Pouchet III. I'm a partner at McGuire Woods and your host of Access in the Pipeline. Please join me in welcoming Austin Smoke, who is a founder uh, or the founder of Grove Oaks Capital. Austin, thanks so much for joining me on today's episode of Access in the Pipeline. I think I think we're going to call today's uh, episode uh, Chasing the Elusive First Deal. Um, <laughs> since, since we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about your experience getting that first deal done. So, man, thank you again for, for joining us and, uh, and welcome. Definitely. Thanks for having me. All right, man. So we'll, we'll jump right in. Could you tell us just a little bit about your private equity and finance background and how we ended up where we're at? Definitely, definitely. So I'll give you a scope of who Austin is, and then we can dive into formative experience and things of that nature. So originally from Atlanta, went to school in New York, went to St. John's University, got a BA in economics in 2017. After finishing that up, joined Goldman Sachs in the real estate private equity division. Stayed there from 2018 to 21. Decided to leave there towards the end of 21 to do a self-funded search. Um, that's what brings us to Grove Oaks Capital, which is started off as a search fund, as we had spoken about previously, Ruben, but which is now a, um, I would say, full-fledged lower middle market, private equity investment vehicle. Nice. And, and, and I know we, we talked about this a little bit before, but what was happening you know, in, in the marketplace or with you personally, professionally, that made you pivot from the search fund to more of an independent sponsor model. Yeah, definitely. I'd say, you know, I was never a traditional search guy, which those are more so implanted CEOs who invest in equity. I felt felt I'd be better as a deal maker. As an independent sponsor, you're more so structuring a management team and putting that into place. And those who operate a traditional search fund just go into the operator seat and typically are a CEO. So when I was looking at assets specifically, and when it came to the one that we acquired, and it, it's a construction vertical. It's a roofing company. You know, me with the banking background, and I didn't see myself as being the most appropriate CEO to kind of push it forward. So, looking at you know management structure post acquisition, you know, I put a COO in in a place technically, and you know, I sit as the face of ownership. Nice, nice. And you give us just a little bit of background about about Grove Oaks, but could you do a a, a little bit of a deeper dive in what industries you're focused on? What's what's your high level, your investment strategy, check size, EBITDA, revenue, all the good stuff? Definitely. So EBITDA threshold of anywhere from one to four million in EBITDA. I would say right now the strategic focus is home services within the Southeast, primarily Georgia and Florida. Um, the platform that we acquired roughly six months ago, it's in the roofing space, as mentioned, um, looking to scale that through roll up. So looking to get somewhere in the seven to ten million in EBITDA range within the next, you know, eighteen to twenty-four months, and that's my primary focus, you know, here in the next year or two. And I guess ballpark, how many how many add-on transactions are you forecasting to do to get you to that number? I would say three to four. You know, right now I have two under LOI, so if those go pretty well, it's more more so looking at within Florida a geographic focus of taking over an asset in the southeast of Florida, the Southwest, we're central right now, 
and also northern Florida, whether that be you know Jacksonville or the Panhandle. Awesome, awesome. Well, look, good getting a little bit of background about you and and, and Grove Oak Capital, Grove Oaks Capital, and the and the company you acquired. But I wanted to spend the bulk of today's episode talking about getting that first deal closed. Um, I know for a lot of a lot of independent sponsors, and even for a lot of search funds, guys are you know twelve and or people are twelve, eighteen months, sometimes twenty four months into this thing, where they maybe they've had a deal or two under LOI or almost got them under LOI and couldn't couldn't get it done. So so no small feat that you. Uh, we're able to get that that first deal done. If you wouldn't mind giving us just a little bit of uh, of context on how long it sort of, it took you, sort of from an inception to wires going across to get that first deal done. Definitely. So I formally launched the search in October of twenty one, but I would say I've been looking passively for a year prior to that. So I built out the the Rolodex of brokers, lenders, equity investors, and communicated with the the ecosystem for a while, you know, prior to formally launching. After formally launching, I acquired um, a small network of franchises at the top of 22, which are more so, you know, passive uh, personal balance sheet assets. Went back out to the market looking for a larger deal to do. After kind of understanding, working with the franchise or how much red tape is around getting multi-unit opportunities within that. So went back out with the strategic focus around home services, Got a deal under LOI in May of 21. The diligence and closing process was arduous. You know, that took roughly seven months after getting it under LOI. And we, we finally closed in November of 21. And when you were, when you were in the LOI phase, I mean, we, we tend to see sponsors a lot of times you know, kind of agree to things in the LOI phase that, that lenders, uh, capital providers don't love. And then you end up trying to retrade on some of those things. <laughs> uh, once you identify, uh, e- you know, either your your last resort capital provider or the capital provider that you really want to, uh, you know, hit your wagon to. And so what were some of the, you know, I guess, at what point did you get your capital provider uh, involved in, in the process and were they involved at all in the LOI process? Yeah, definitely. So there's a lender within the search fund ecosystem who's, I would say, top notch. They're the primary one most of the elite search funds go through. In a deal that's, you know, enterprise value anywhere from five to 15 million. So I built a relationship with them, you know, over the course of, you know, a year plus, and I was sending them deals. And a lot of times they say, hey, no, this is not going to work at all. So I figured out what type of deal was financeable from their standpoint. And also I worked with a syndicate for my equity. So finding what was attractive to that syndicate as well. And I you know, found an asset that fit into that mold. So can I answer your question? It was, pinpointing targets that were financeable. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, they were involved before you even got to the LOI phase. I probably had 10 deals under LOI prior to the one that I closed and everyone that I brought, you know, not everyone, but most that I brought across were no's and they were for, you know, specific reasons. So that taught me what I can actually get across the finish line. Nice. That's good perspective for, for other independent sponsors out in the space to a lot of times I encounter independent sponsors like, oh, I got a deal under LOI. You know, who who are some capital providers you recommend I reach out to? Or who are some people that could do a Q of E for me or whatever it is? Yeah. And which is, you know, it's great as a law firm to be able to be that resource for folks in a space, but also sort of a good 
a good teachable moment to early and often be building those relationships and and running things by them so that as you uh as you find deals you know whether it's going to work for them or not because they're 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 side by side with you in the process so that's super helpful let's talk a little bit about you know sort of what what were your core principles in looking for your first deal i mean i i know your capital provider and your syndicate had some say and 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 were helping you sort of uh evolve your position on things but at the heart of it what were what were you really say where you'd be like your table stakes. Yeah. So when I started the search, I was generally, you know, industry agnostic, anything, you know, with operating profit or EBITDA above a million, I would take a look at. So it was pretty much anything across the gamut within the certain markets. Um, you know, Georgia, Florida was also taking a look in Texas, Chicago land, as well as Southern California. Um, so within those markets, I was taking a look at you know, anything that fit within that EBITDA threshold. As I progressed um, and figured out you know, which verticals were more attractive to both sides of capital, equity, and debt, I started to target that more. Of, you know, it's easier to throw things out the window, and it was easier to buckle down on certain assets. So that was generally the thesis and how I came about it. And what are, what are some of those verticals that you are seeing in the marketplace as attractive for for debt and equity providers or independent sponsors? Yeah, well, it's different now than what it was previously. You know, right. <laughs> you know, I feel like capital was a lot more lenient, you know, maybe six to 12 months ago than what we're seeing in the environment currently. Um, but when I was searching and on the hunt, um, home services was quite attractive, whether that be HVAC plumbing, um, your tree services, roofing companies, et cetera. You're seeing a lot of private equity interests, you know, lower and middle market um, firms coming in and you know, taking a hold of those companies. And there's a lot of multiple arbitrage down market that we're seeing or have seen. What's driving that? I mean, what's, what are the real opportunities with respect to those companies? Is it digitization? Is it building out a stronger back office? What, what do you think is... It's part of the latter. So if you look at it from a roll-up thesis or my thesis, it's at the whole co-level, being able to structure HR, um, certain processes at a unified level for, you know, four to five entities, it's creating a higher margin profile. Um, and also taking some of the unique intricacies about from the, the, the first acquisition and putting those in place at some others that we're seeing in the market, and it's a highly fragmented market, it's, it's creating a higher margin profile. So for me specifically, that's what I saw. Nice. And, you know, I, I think the other big piece for, for independent sponsors and doing these deals is thinking through what they want their economics to look like. And I'm sure that, you know, on, on one end, you've got a number of wh- where you think you're, you know, so you're a couple of tranches of economics ought to look like. And then you've got your, you got your, your debt and your equity, and they may have a, you know, they may have a different viewpoint on what those, those look like. So could you, could you just talk a little bit about, you know, uh, and this is more educational for our audience, right? Like where, where are the buckets mm-hmm. of, of earnings for, that make up the economics of a, of a sponsor? And then, and then what are some of the negotiation pain points and trying to try to land on something that, that, that works for everybody? Yeah, I would say the search fund ecosystem is split into two. So in the self-funded search ecosystem, you're, there's a typical rule of thumb. You know, you're giving away anywhere from 20 to 50 points in a deal to your equity base, depending upon, you know, what type of lending facility you're going to use. On the traditional search ecosystem, it's you're receiving a vesting package of anywhere from 20 to 25% within a company, and that vests over 
know, anywhere from three to five years. And that's similar to what you see in an independent sponsor model as well. The way I structured my deal was the self-funded search route. Um, so generally, you know, I had that thesis in mind and that's what's been prevalent in the ecosystem for the last, you know, three to five years. Got it. In terms of like that structure, did you find there to be some sort of sticking points where you think your, your capital provider was more interested in pushing one way or the other on the number? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, lenders always want you to put more equity in the deal and <laughs> equity providers always want a larger chunk of equity. So it's, it's always a negotiation. Good thing at that time when I was raising, you know, the market was, it was a lot more open than what it is right now. Right. So right. Yeah. Yeah. More options. Yeah. More leverage. You know, today we're seeing something totally different. Right. No, yeah, definitely. I mean, that, you know, debt is more expensive, obviously. And um, uh, it, it, I think, you know, others are a bit skittish, right? They're right. they're they're in the kind of wait and see mode and mm-hmm. um, kicking the can down the road a little bit more than they probably were when when you were when you were teeing your deal up. And that's right. I, I think it's something that, you know, we're all going to we're going to deal with for a little bit. And hopefully, you know, by the time we get ready to roll out of the second quarter, people are ready to ready to do some do some deals, and we see an uptick in in, uh, in activity. Some of that will probably Let's include so. sellers taking less less on the multiple front than maybe they would have twelve months ago. But there's some creative ways, I think, in the deal space to kind of make up those gaps. Maybe not completely, but you know, between seller notes and earnouts, there's there's things we could do That's to, right. to to get 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 the get the deal activity flowing again. Um, you know, it, c- coming out of this first deal experience, you know, what what would you say were, you know, sort of your your big teachable moments? I mean, you, it, it just kind of covers the gambit, right? I mean, it could be with dealing with legal counsel, uh, yeah. thinking about transition services as the as the sellers, you know, getting out of, you know, cashing out and you're you're taking over the business or, or supervising to take over a business, mm-hmm. diligence, whatever it might be. What what are what are you know, maybe one or two big teachable moments that you had through this process? Well, I would say post acquisition, it's you know, to be humble, you you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, lean heavily upon the previous ownership, you know, within that transition period and try and squeeze as much as possible out of them, whether it's, you know, three months, a year, two years, just try and, you know, really latch on and understand how they think about the business. And then, you know, you're always going to have your, your thesis going in of, you know, how I can make operations more efficient or, you know, how we can spend less on materials, whatever it may be. But listen first, I'd say. That's post-acquisition. Prior to acquisition, I was working with a family office who was going to be my sole equity check. They said no, like two and a half weeks prior to closing the deal. So I had to go back out to the market and and raise them a myriad of LPs within a week. So these are all people that showed interest throughout that period. But it was, you know, that was also a, a teachable moment. You know, keep all keep all options open, you know, prior to closing. It's until you're across the finish line, you're not there. Yeah. No, that's 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 an interesting wrinkle uh, two weeks prior to <laughs> prior to closing, man. Yeah. Two and a half weeks prior to it was frustrating, to say the least. What was the process like going, you know, sort of open going back to the well, trying to get folks to open up a checkbook who had at some point probably realized you were moving forward without them? Yeah, they they did, but they didn't. You know, I was it's funny. So prior to them saying, you know, they weren't going to go forward with the deal, the family office. It was literally, I had put on my calendar the next day, like I was going to let the myriad of LPs that I've been speaking to previously, who were going to write, you know, much smaller checks, let them know I, I was moving forward with the family office. So 
I kept both baskets open, so to say. But the communication with the smaller LP base, it, it was drawn out, you know, for, for three months, you know. So in saying that, there was, you know, roughly 10 to 15 percent that had said yes, you know, three months prior, said they couldn't do it anymore. So mm. there was a gap like a week before the deal closed, to be honest. So it was, you know, it was a process and it was, you know, it was a great, great teachable moment. Uh, you know, one of the things that I think we see from Black emerging managers, Black-led search funds, uh, you know, Black independent sponsors, is is a lot of times they just don't have the same Rolodex, right, that that some of our counterparts yep. have in the space. What are some of the things that, that you did in order to build that Rolodex as you were thinking, you know, thinking, you know, 12 months down the line, hey, I'm going to I'm going to eventually find a target and I know that I'm going to I'm going to pay for it in, in part with equity and debt. How do you build sort of the the relationships that are necessary to be able to do what you did and pivot, you know, two weeks out uh, if you if you need to? Yeah, I would say prior to me even launching Grovo's Capital, I was building relationship with equity investors. Um, that's what mostly within the search fund ecosystem. So it wasn't, you know, your typical capital providers in the independent sponsor ecosystem per se. But that was through conferences, networking with ex-Goldman people who had, you know, launched a search themselves, actually listening to a lot of podcasts, you know, and then reaching out to those people post-podcast. How did you do this? I would love to speak, you know, speak to you. And one leads to two, two leads to four, four leads to eight. It's that type of thing. I mean, also to say, I did use a, a capital raising shop or, or syndicate. So having that partner greatly helped. You know, they, they sourced, you know, I would say 60, maybe 70% of the capital needed from an equity perspective. And, you know, my connections were the other 30 to 40%. But having that partner to lean on was pivotal. Yeah. I think that's what answers my next question. We thinking about for any anybody out here listening to the podcast that might be interested in in starting a search fund or becoming an independent sponsor and doing doing a you know a fundless fund if you will that in terms of critical resources what what would you say you know sort of those top three top five resources that you've got to have to to be able to get the deal done from soup to nuts? Well, you need a lawyer who's going to work for you on retainer. You need a CPA who's willing to work for you on a, a small retainer as well, from a diligence standpoint. You need an insurance diligence partner. I think with our acquisition, there was a lot of that, you know, to go through. And of course, your your equity and, and lending relationships, you know, I would say always have three to five banks that you can run a deal by at any given time. And also have good equity relationships who actually write checks, you know, um, consistently that you can run deals by and get their perspective. And how did the relationship with the syndicate come about? Um, they're part of the search fund ecosystem. So met them at a conference, actually. That's that's how I started. You know, um, Pitched them a deal. That first deal, they said no. Came back with this other deal, and they said yes. Awesome. Awesome. So Austin, as we think through what it's like to be a Black independent sponsor or, or even a Black person working in the private equity and finance space, I'm curious to get, you know, I want to get your thoughts on what are some things that we could be doing as members of this ecosystem, members of this community to help grow the Black independent sponsor community and and drive sort of the industry support that we really need to see more activity in the space. Definitely. I think it's it's a lot of what you're doing is, is critical. So, you know, you personally, your firm, it's the conferences, it's the podcast, it's growing the ecosystem, you know, 
again, it goes back to that thing I said, you know, one leads to two, two leads to four. The more visibility that's out there, the better it's going to be. There's also creating on-ramps. So the firms that are, you know, specifically targeting um, diverse capital, those are extremely important as well. Nice. And when we talk about like firms that are specifically targeting diverse capital, are we talking minority-owned businesses or are we just talking about, are we talking about folks like you that may be, you know, interested in person a business that could potentially serve a minority or underserved community? What's sort of at the, you know, what does that really mean when you drill down on it? I think it's both, but more so from a capital provider standpoint, those that have a focus around diverse managers. So that can be new majority capital, that can be Stonehenge. There's there's a multitude of that are, are focused on providing capital to minority managers. So gotcha. Yeah. Well, look, man, I appreciate you being on the podcast today. I certainly uh, have enjoyed the conversation and, and, and think there are a lot of nuggets there for for our listeners. But I always like to close out our, our episodes by asking a couple round-robin questions that help folks in the audience learn a little bit more about you as a, as a professional, but, but also find some things that are going to help them and en- en- enrich themselves as, as professionals. So uh, just a couple of quick, fun questions, man, and we'll get you out of here. What's one book that you recommend that's been transformational for your career? Reginald F. Lewis's book, as well as the Harvest Business Review, their How to Buy a Small Business, those two were transformational for me. When I was 18, 19 years old, I picked those up in college. You know, I had my first seller meeting after reading HBR's book. You know, when I was 19, there was a guy selling three juice shops in New York City. You know, so I love to purchase a business. That was the first time I had a seller meeting. So those have been foundational for me. And you know Reginald F. Lewis's book. That's it's always going to be paramount. So, yeah, awesome. What's the single best piece of advice you've received from a mentor, personally or professionally? I would say it came from my dad more so than anything else, which was be detailed oriented and be persistent, and you can win at anything you're going to do. All right. Yep. And then, what cocktail best describes you and why? Yeah, I would say. Uh, a mezcal old fashioned, you know, it's, it's a classic, but it's smoky, you know? Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a big, big mezcal fan myself, man. Love uh, it, man. It, I can't get into the bourbons with everybody else. I felt like it was a little too trendy. And so the mezcals give you, you know, still give you sort of the, the, the natural sweetness of a tequila, but then that, that smoky flavor. That's right. Uh, that's still, I think, you know, for guys like you and I, I mean, it still gives you sort of that that you know, I'm sophisticated. I'm I'm I'm, I'm still a classic <laughs> man, kind of kind of vibe. So. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Awesome, man. Well, well, look, man. Hey, again, appreciate you making time to join us on Access in the Pipeline, ladies and gentlemen. Austin Smoke, founder of Grove Oaks Capital. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. It was fantastic, Ruben. Awesome. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Accessing the Pipeline. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Ruben Pouchet III at rpusha at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action. 